0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a look at the economy and the stocks making news this week. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. We'll be a very busy week in the markets. First quarter earnings season kicks into high gear Friday with the big banks reporting results. We'll also get updated inflation readings on the consumer price index and the producer price index, and the Federal Reserve will release the minutes of its March policy meeting on Wednesday. Okay, Ben, welcome to Barron's Live and let's dig into all this news.
1: Thanks, Lauren, let's do it.
0: Okay, so on Friday, the government released the payrolls report for March. This is a big report. The jobs numbers are closely watched by the Fed. And the latest data spoke to a still strong jobs market. That means more rate hikes are likely coming. The stock market was closed Friday for Good Friday, so we're getting a delayed reaction today to the jobs numbers. And investors are not very happy. So what struck you, Ben, as the most important items in the jobs release? And how do you explain the market's reaction?
1: Well, I think what's getting the most attention is still that the payrolls uh, refuse to go down um, very much. We had 236,000 jobs added. I think that was a touch more than expectations that were around 230,000, but it was really in line. But this is... uh, it's still a big number. Um, there's there's some people who point out that uh, you know it's really almost double the rate that uh, um, economists say is needed to, um, to 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 accept all the new uh, job uh, new workers into labor force. So it's still a tight labor market. And we also saw the unemployment rate drop to three point five percent, and that's still near its lowest mark uh, lowest level in more than fifty years. Um, so i mean th- that's that's what gets all the attention but there was some good news in there as well um we had wages uh wage growth slowed a little bit um that had to be the bad
0: news is good news yeah,
1: i I, I, don't, news. I don't think so as the is the problem here cuz i i i think it's still a question of um this is still a very strong job market and the reaction um you know it it's just that um there i mean it's 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 right now good news is, is a bad news we see that in, in the market even though there are these things in there like the slowing wages and even a shrinking work week that shows that uh, we um companies don't want don't need as much work as they have um it, but it's uh I, I think it's still worrying uh the, the um it's still worrying the stock market and i think that's partially because while that headline number is so strong there are other things in there that are saying that there are other factors saying that hey this number might not be as strong as it looks but everyone still thinks the fed is going to uh raise interest rates um that uh um and we'll get to this more in a second but do we had the the odds of an of an interest rate hike go up um And um, and I think that's sort of what the market is wrestling with is this headline number, which says, okay, job market is still strong, but these other details that are saying, you know what, maybe it's not as strong as it looks. I'd like to also mention jobless claims, where we saw an 11% jump in the four-week moving average from a year ago. And that's more of a leading indicator um, of a weakening job market than perhaps payrolls were.
0: Right, it's not showing up yet in, in the payrolls report. So as we've said, a tight jobs market means services inflation remains high. That means overall inflation is still well above the Fed's 2% target. And that means the Fed is very much likely to lift interest rates again in March. I'm curious about what the futures market is saying regarding, excuse me, in May. I'm curious about what the futures market is saying about a rate hike in May. And also what you think the Fed is likely to do beyond May. Is that going to be the last hike? Or is there gonna be a pause and a pivot? a pause and a plateau, no pause and more rate hikes. It's a lot of scenarios to choose from.
1: (laughs) It is a lot of scenarios to choose from. Right now, the the futures market is saying there's a 75% chance of a rate hike um, in May. Um, And that's only about a month away. Um, And so they're feeling pretty pretty confident that that, that's what is going to happen. Um, After that, it's also fairly confident that we're gonna get rate cuts. That uh, you know, and and there's been a lot of uh, arguments about whether you know, uh, you know, we're going to get a soft landing or hard landing or whatnot. Um, But I think the only way you get um, rate cuts is if things start to go bad with the economy. Um, But I do suspect that the Fed does hike in May. Um, It just seems like with these job numbers the way they are they will uh they're going to go ahead and do that and then um i think they would like to stop they've already raised rates and uh you know very quickly by historical standards to a you know a fairly uh high level and there are signs again that uh that uh, there was a point there where it looked like there wasn't having it, the hikes weren't having much of an effect um and now we're starting to see that uh, the hikes really are and i think uh that probably makes the fed want to want to pause if the data lets it. Um we'll find out more on on Wednesday about what the fed's thinking when the minutes from uh, the last meeting are released and you know how close did they come to maybe not raising rates during uh, the banking uh, meltdown that was going on around that time um when you know there were people then who said the fed shouldn't have shouldn't have raised rates. Um so it'll be interesting to see what they were thinking.
0: Well reports are that it came down to the wire that going into the weekend before the FOMC meeting in March Powell still wasn't sure what would happen because of all the turmoil with banks. Right. So This gets me to the fact that the feds rate hikes over the past year have had a significant impact on the nation's banks. Bank deposits have been fleeing for higher yielding accounts and many banks are sitting with unrealized losses on the bonds that they hold. We know that Silicon Valley bank went under in part because it had to recognize those losses, but it seems as though a wider bank crisis has been inverted for now, maybe forever, but definitely for now. Nonetheless, the Fed's tighter policy is changing bank behavior. So tell us why and, and tell us how.
1: Sure. Well, it looks like the, the crisis has passed. Um, what, when you, with the data that we get from the Fed, we can see that uh, the, the amount of borrowing that banks have had to do from the Fed, um, we had that big jump immediate, in the immediate aftermath of the crisis, but it's really calmed down. Um, Which suggests that you know, and deposit levels have also um, sort of solidified here. Um, So you had uh, big withdrawals, but then things uh, kind of uh, stabilized, and that's good. I mean, that means that uh, investors and depositors have looked at their banks. They're feeling comfortable with things. They're feeling comfortable with um, how the uh, regulators might respond if there's more trouble. Um, you know, we still talk about First Republic every once in a while, but it's around the, the business problems that they have now more than anything else. And And that's all good news uh, for the banking system. Um, it does mean that uh, we're probably not going to have um, a crisis there that really turns systemic, that the banks are going to have the time that they need to resolve the, uh, you know, deposit uh, versus asset mismatch and that kind of thing and just get through this. The bad news is that um, the Fed also, um, in its what's called the H8, uh, which was released after the close on Friday, um, they tell us how much uh, lending banks are doing. Um, and it, it took a big drop this past week, which I think is really the first one to give us a, a look at what, how banks are responding. Um, and I think l- lending was down by about $65 billion. And I think that's what um, we have to worry about here. It's not a banking crisis. It's this withdrawal of credit from the markets. Um, We knew banks were already doing this um, before uh, the banking, before uh, Silicon Valley Bank and all this trouble started. Um, The bank lending surveys had shown that they had um, banks were offering tighter lending standards, um, less willingness to lend. Um, But now we're seeing this play out in in the lending that they're doing in the Fed's data. Um, and so, so
0: ben, I, let me let me ask you, is this yeah. because, is this is this because there's less demand for loans or is it because of bank reticence to lend to perhaps less than sterling borrowers?
1: I, I think it's bank reticence and it's not even so much about less than sterling borrowers. I think it's more that they just have to get their balance, their uh, loan books uh, aligned with their deposit bases. Um and there they have to also i mean there's all these other things going on, i mean you have recession risks, you have um just i mean all kinds of stuff out there and it, and the bottom line is that they are. Uh, they're they're just not going to be willing to lend as much. Um, and it's going to weigh on, and this is coming from Apollo's uh, Torsten Slack, but he's saying that it's going to weigh on the economic outlook that uh, he calls it, he says the credit crunch has started. And that's really just a simple way to say that if you need a loan, it's going to be a lot harder to get one. Um, and of course, I mean, that's what keeps the economy going is the ability to you know, get loans, go out and start businesses or expand businesses, and do those kind of things. And when you can't do that, economic growth slows.
0: So far, the Fed has not pitched us into a recession, despite so many worries up till now. What do your other economist sources tell you about the possibility of a soft landing or even a no landing scenario?
1: Well, let's start with the optimistic side. Um, okay, and you'll get you'll gather that uh, I, I, this is not my base case. Um, but I think it's an important one, because when we talk about base cases, I mean, all these things in the market um, are based on, I, I know that I'm not going to be right, even most of it, maybe, hopefully I'm most of the time right, but like a majority of the time, but you're going to be wrong a lot. You have to think about odds. Um, and so Eddie Denny has been making the case for a soft landing now uh, for a while, and he keeps reevaluating it as all of these things happen, um, including what's going on in the banking system. And he just did that again. Um, and he's making a point, though, that he doesn't think there's going to be a hard landing, partially because he thinks what we're getting is not a um, we're getting rolling recessions, which means that you're having different sections of the economy, different parts of the economy getting hit at different times. Um, and that allows. Um, so you have pain. You've had pain in industrials for a while now. For instance, the uh, uh, ISM manufacturing survey has dropped below 50, which means um, manufacturing's been contracting. But for you know the economy continues to hold up, and we're going to get these kind of rolling recessions. But he thinks that we're not going to get a one gigantic recession where everything gets hit together at the same time, and that's going to allow there to be a soft landing, and perhaps it won't be comfortable and perhaps it it would might feel like a recession, but it's the the economy is going to be able to get through that. And he's not the only one saying that. Now we have over at Evercore, there's Ed Hyman. Um, He's wrestling with this as well. And he found five reasons um, to think that there could be a soft landing. One is that consumers have a lot of money. Corporations have a lot of money. Everybody already expects a recession. Um, So, you know, if it's already expected, how how bad can it be? Um, inflation is slowing, and um, he the last one is consumer net worth is still elevated, and these are all good things, especially in a consumer driven economy uh, like we have. Um, on the other hand, you know he's looking at uh, what's uh, what's pointing towards a uh, um, a hard landing. He sees the yield curve, which is significantly inverted, in his terms. Um, There's been a big drop in M2 money supply, and it's just massive. Um, The Fed is still hiking rates and still wants to do quantitative tightening. Um, And then you do have this uh, banking shock, uh, this financial shock, as he calls it. Um, And for Hyman, that means that uh, he he thinks the evidence leans more towards the hard landing um, than it does to the soft. And, And and I I happen to agree with him. I just look at everything that's happening. We have Uh, PMIs for both, uh, the Purchasing Managers Indexes for both uh, manufacturing and services are falling. I think leading indicators have been dropping for about 11 months now. Um, And I I think it just gets harder. The one thing is payrolls are, the job market is usually the last thing to go. You know, it's uh, companies start making cuts elsewhere and they only do the job cuts towards the towards the very end. And I think that's what we're starting to see is that uh, we're going to as as jobless claims rise. um, We're we're going to see um, as jobless claims. rise, We're going to start seeing jobless claims uh, rise even more. And I think that's what we're going to start to see. the the pains start to hit the job market overall will start to show up in um in payrolls and that's when it'll be recognized i say yeah you know what we really are heading into a recession
0: well it's the most telegraphed recession ever so i in my own feeling is it be, we may we have to wait a little longer <laughs>
1: it's, so it's I, i'm bad. not sure that's so so telegraphed i mean i remember back in even during the financial crisis um when the yield curve inverted and you had Bear Stearns and people were saying, no, it's going to be okay. Even the Fed was saying it's going to be okay. And it took really into, uh, you know, you first started getting these, these signals in, uh, I think it was early-ish, 2007. Um, but you didn't get a, re- a recession starting until uh, I think they officially dated it at the end of 2007. And the real pain didn't start showing up until 2008. So it takes a while for for these things. Uh, I feel like we've
0: been talking about it for a long time though. And that people oh, have been expecting yeah. it for a long time.
1: I think we've probably been talking about it for uh um God, it's probably getting close to a year now.
0: Yeah. That's what I mean by long telegraph.
1: Yeah. Yep. So yeah.
0: all right. So let's move on and look at the earnings that are starting this week. It'll be the um liftoff for first quarter earnings season. The banks typically tend to kick things off and they'll be doing that later in the week. Give me the overview for first quarter earnings, and then we'll drill down and take a look at the banks.
1: Well, first quarter earnings are not supposed to be great. Um, You can see it from the uh, pre-announcements we've had um, so far. There have been 81 negative and only 26 positive, and that means that there's 3.1 negative for every positive, and that's uh, actually well above the long-term average from 1997 of 2.5, and Above the prior court, four prior uh, prior quarters of 1.9, um, so we know they're not going to be good. Um, we're actually expected to see them drop 5.2 percent uh, year over year, uh, even as revenues rise 1.6 uh, percent. So again, that's sign sign that uh, you know margins are being squeezed a bit. Um, Evercore uh, again thinks that those earnings estimates, even though they've come down a bit, are too high. Um, they have uh, uh, they, they think that the um, there's going to be about 1.6% miss to the first quarter earnings, and it, we haven't seen anything like that since the first quarter of 2018. Um, and so he uh, they think that it's going to really be a negative catalyst uh, for the S and P 500 uh, that earnings season, rather than having the the bar set uh, set low and then everybody's going to beat it. It's actually set uh, even with the downgrades. Uh, it's been set too high and it's going to be uh, it'll be a t- had tougher time for companies generally.
0: Well the market is still pretty expensive. It's not really expecting big disappointments. So what does that mean? No.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really odd to to look at it. The S&P 500 is still at 18 times. Um and the the, the Nasdaq I think is around 26. Um to me that uh I have a hard time making sense of those numbers because it's um it's one thing to have the market trading at 18 times when interest rates are near zero. Um, but to see it trading at eighteen times when interest rates are at five percent, um, you know, it they haven't gone the valuation hasn't come down all that much um, right. in the grand scheme uh, compared to those the rise in rates. And that uh, I think um it puzzles me. Um and uh, You're i do not alone the,
0: there my front.
1: Yeah, I think the, the valuation at some point will have to come down just to reflect the, the higher rates. But it's also, um, you know, the, if, the, if earnings estimates are coming down and the market isn't falling, then the valuation is going, going up. Um, yeah. You know, it's the math of the market. And I think that's a lot of what's happening right now.
0: It's a fascinating situation. But let's let's talk about the banks. We're going to hear from J.P. Morgan on Friday, along with Wells Fargo and Citi. What are we expecting? in terms of first quarter results?
1: You know, this is one where I almost hate to try to differentiate between the banks. Um, Just because I think in this environment, the differences are probably uh, not large enough to make all that much of a difference. Um, But I know that, uh, you know, JP Morgan's analysts have looked at the banking sector and they came up with a litany of concerns, um, including the outlook for the economy, uh, the impact of inflation, uh, is there a slowdown in consumer spending, what's happening with deposits, uh, the impact on credit creation and loan growth, outlet for credit quality, and the impact of increased regulatory requirements and oversight. Um, that's a lot of uh, overhangs. And it does mean that uh, you know loan growth is likely to slow. Um, deposits uh, for the big banks are going to probably do quite well. We've seen um, a lot of deposits come out of small banks and most of them went into big banks. So it's very possible that uh, you've seen deposits at uh, the three big ones um, that are reporting on Friday rise. Um, It's also likely, though, that uh, net interest margins have peaked and that interest income will have to start coming down. as banks need to end up, uh, you know, with this realization that uh, by people that hey, I could get more than zero percent on my money, banks are going to have to raise rates to uh keep uh, their depositors uh happy and in place. Um, and but there are also going to be some good trading revenue. We've had volatile markets, volatile markets are good for trading. Um, that's going to offset some weak investment banking. Um, and there shouldn't be any credit quality problems yet. Um, it seems like people are paying their loans still, um, and that's all uh, pretty good. Um, the big question, of course, comes down to what's built into these stocks, and you can sort of see the market um, already starting to place its bets about who's been more or less affected by what's been happening. Um, J.P. Morgan's stock is down 4.9% this year. Um, that's versus an S&P that was up 6.9%, um, but Wells Fargo is down 8.2%. And city is actually up 1.4 percent this year. Um, and but I think the, the bigger point about them is that they're all really cheap. Um, particularly city. City's been the cheapest of them for a long time. But I think city's valuation is uh, was close to you know 0.5 tangible book. People just don't have confidence in city being able to turn things around very easily. Um, and so you see the analysts, they look at these big banks and they look at these valuations and they say, you know what, these these stocks are starting to look pretty good. A lot of the bad news is probably in them. Um, and I think that's what investors are going to be trying to figure out as they wrestle with the numbers that get released on Friday is, uh, um, did they have these banks priced in all the bad news that has been out there so far? And are they going to be strong enough to weather whatever is going to be thrown at them in the months to come?
0: Definitely worth watching. We'll be talking about the results, Friday's results again next Monday. But enough of the bank spend. We have had enough of bank talk. Let's talk about airlines. Delta reports on Thursday. The stock is pretty much flat for the year, down about 9% over one year. What's the outlook for earnings?
1: You know, they actually look like they will be pretty good. Um, Air traffic in the U.S. has been very strong. Um, since President's Day, and the the other side of things is that there doesn't seem to be any impact from the uh, turmoil that hit the banking system. Sorry, I had to mention banks again; couldn't, couldn't help myself.
0: <laughs> well, forgive so, me.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was there was fear that this would cause people to stop spending, and it, and it really hasn't. Um, and so, you know, Delta might not be a huge surprise. They did come out in mid March and say that uh, you know they reaffirmed their guidance, and you know, there's. Um, Cowan thinks that they're going to come in maybe a little bit light. Um, that there could be a negative surprise in the cards, in their words. Um, but it does seem like the uh, th- that uh, travel is holding up quite well, um, and I, I think uh, that's going to be uh, the thing that people will focus on. As you pointed out, the stocks really haven't done all that much this year. Um, and I think the other side of things, there was concern with um, OPEC uh, cutting production that uh, oil prices um, would end up uh, going up um, a lot, and that would uh, you know, force ticket prices to go higher or eat into uh, margins. Crude oil hasn't really, it, its fall has been arrested, but it hasn't gone up all that much. Um, and so but that might be uh, a worry that ends up being unfounded. So I, I think you look at these stocks and they they look set up pretty well for uh, the Delta looks uh, like to be set up pretty well for uh, the earnings release on Thursday.
0: Well, I've flown recently and the planes are packed.
1: Yeah, so- I did too. Uh, I mean, I flew Delta here on uh, to um, to Denver, which is where I am right now uh to visit my family and uh the flight was packed um but it got off on time it actually ran very smoothly so um there's that to be said
0: it's really a miracle when you think about the logistics behind it all Yeah, and and that things are going rather smoothly these days so moving on let's talk about healthcare. united health group the big health insurer reports on friday the stock is down about 3% year to date. It's down about 4.5% over one year. Not a bad performance, all things considered. What's ahead for United Health?
1: Well, I, I think you have to do think about two things. One is uh, you know, the the numbers themselves right now. Um, you know, they they look like they're supposed to report a profit of six dollars and seven cents. That would be up from five dollars and forty-nine cents. Um, they're a very well managed company. Um and uh, they, the, the numbers should come in pretty well. Um, my fear with this stock, though, is that if you look at what it's done over the past uh, few days, um, I think as investors have turned to look for um, more uh, more safety, um, or the, at the beginning of the year, investors really didn't want um, uh, didn't want safety. Um, and United Health had actually held up pretty well last year. Um, and um, the the company, um, uh, the, the, you know, they held up well last year as investors wanted safety. They came into this year um, because not wanting safety. So the stock got hit pretty hard, but it's now gained about 5% over the past five days. And that makes me worry. And I don't see any news on that. If somebody does see it, please let us know in the comments. Um, but it, it's just it's popped a lot. Um, and. Uh, that makes me worry heading into the number when you get that kind of big move that uh, the number can will disappoint, even if it doesn't disappoint. Or buy
0: uh, the rumor, or sell the news. Exactly. As the, as the saying goes. Uh,
1: but, you know, we were pretty, um, we were bullish, uh, Barron's was bullish on um, one of United uh, uh, UnitedHealth's um, competitors, uh, Humana, earlier this year. And it's, you know, for similar reasons. I mean, I think you, we probably could have made the case for United Health as well that, you know, these stocks are very stable. Um, and they, with them getting sold off to, to start this year, there was an opportunity to pick them up. Um, if you think that there is going to be some more turmoil in the market, they're probably not a bad place to be, or at least to have some exposure to these kind of stocks, um, going ahead.
0: And on the theme of healthcare, I just want to point out that Moderna is holding a vaccine day on Tuesday. Is there anything you can tell us about that?
1: Now, Moderna is an interesting one just because it's a stock that I have had some big hopes for. I don't think we ever we haven't picked it at, at Barons, and the stock you know bottomed back in um, oh, it looks like it bottomed back in October with the uh, with the market, and it bounced and it's pulled back. And there's concerns over Vax over the uh, COVID vaccine that people really don't want to. Um, um, that, that the number of people who are going to want the vaccine is just not going to be uh, very high going forward. Um, but Moderna is having this, uh, um, this vaccine day and it's going to focus on its other vaccines. Um, it's going to focus on uh, PCV. Um, and, um, and, but it, it'll be interesting to see whether how much that can do the stock. But something has to happen for Moderna because it's sitting on all this cash um, it's trying to roll out other vaccines, but there isn't high hopes about the COVID vaccine going forward. So, what's it going to do with that money, and how is it going to turn its business around? So, th- I think that's what people want to hear um, from the company um, tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. at, at this. Uh, they they want to see that there's hope for the other vaccines and that Moderna there's a place for Moderna in that in those markets. Um, otherwise, it's really in a tough spot. Like, where do you go from here? You have just all this money, as I've said, um, and they got to find something uh, that works for them going forward.
0: Right. Well, they certainly had a hit with COVID, and let's see if they can extend it into other areas. By the way, we have a response from Barry, one of our listeners, who notes that Medicare Advantage reimbursements were increased last week.
1: Aha, uh-huh. there you could,
0: go. Could account for the gain in United Health. Thank you so Cut. much.
1: Yep, that would that would certainly do it, Barry. Thanks yeah. for, for pointing that out.
0: We should have been on that ourselves, but we appreciate okay. it. So let's go to a couple of audience questions, and then we'll circle back and take a quick look at CPI. John wants to know what you think are the best two to three sectors to buy now. We haven't talked about stuff like that in a while.
1: It's an interesting one. I do like healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of these stocks are are, are pretty solid. They're fairly stable. Um, and so i think that uh that's a decent place to look right now um i even i mean i like the areas that have been hit um some of this sound like my bearish self um you know i've, I've consumer staples have uh, had a tough time to start off the year they've made a comeback though in recent days um as again fears about recession have have risen so it might be something where you want to wait for a little bit of a pullback there um, and that could be interesting as well. I think those two would probably be good. And the others are just like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound, uh, I, I'm going to hate saying this, but I, I do think a lot of this is about finding the stocks that have been maybe unfairly hit um, and um, picking those up, um, you know, good good companies that for some reason or another um, get dinged for, for, um, by the market and th- there's an opportunity to, to pick them up a little bit cheaper. Um, that's what we were doing, trying to do at the beginning of this year with some of these safer sectors like healthcare and staples, um, just to identify some good stocks there and, uh, and get, get in them for a uh, possible turmoil.
0: We should note for listeners that we're also running stock picks every weekend in Barron's Magazine and online. So we have found a number of stocks that we like that, that we've highlighted this year and they're bunched together on our website. So you can you can see in one grouping, a lot of the picks that we've made. Um, moving on to questions. Lee has a question about ChatGPT. This may be better for the tech call, but I love how he puts it. He says, Ben, I'm a pretty old person, 73. You're not so old, Lee. And He says he's been investing for a long time in the stock market. He's seen many brand new eras come and go without there really being the brand new areas they were reputed to be. How do you look at AI within that context? Do you think it's going to change a lot of things like education, entertainment, writing thank you notes? He notes that's a joke. Or will it have a meaningful impact on stocks or will it just be another wonderful new thing that's not so new after all?
1: Um, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be like all kind of the tech revolutions that that we get. Um, it might not be quite on the level of, let's say, the Internet. Um, but uh, These it, things are. Not, but it, it is. I mean, it's already out there and everything. Um, I mean, one thing people may not know about me is uh, in my spare time, I like to record music. Um, and w- one thing that's amazing to me is that you have programs that use AI to mix your recordings for you. Um, it, you know, it's not quite as good as having a real live mix, uh, you know, person out there listening to it and doing your mixing for you, but it, it's pretty amazing. And so you're starting to see AI pop up in all kinds of areas. Um, but with all these kind of things, there is... Sort of the first reaction, which is like we're just going to buy everything that um, looks like it has a role in this, which is what we saw that that day that Chat GPT went uh, live. I mean, anything that uh, you even smell the AI, every stock popped. Um, but then you have to actually start doing doing the math on it um, and trying to figure out how um, you know how much growth there really is. And I think that's the part that's still being figured out. Um, you know, the 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 actual. Financial um, that the money won't start flowing. I, I think for a, a while. Um, I think it's a good question for the tech call I know that take him has talked to uh, some of the chip companies and they're really excited about it But they also think that the actual revenue benefit is it's a few years out um, But I, I do think it has the potential to change things um, Just the way I think uh, all the tech has, has changed things. we just get used to it though and um it so creates it,
0: opportunities too.
1: It, it does. It, it really does. And there will be winners from it. I think it's it's also great because it has, you know, Google's been so dominant in search and this uh, creates an opportunity for others to um, maybe take some of that or at least forces them to be more on their game. And that kind of competition has to be a good thing.
0: Right. For Sure. So Gabriel asks about commodities and what would be the impact on commodities of a softest of a softish recession and a five percent interest rate.
1: I mean, I think commodities—they're um, going to if there's a recession, commodity prices are going to have to pull back some. Um, it, it, they just won't be used as much. But I think a lot of it will have to do also with uh, what's going on outside the United States, um, if. Uh, if the United States has a recession, but uh, the rest of the, the the global economy can actually not get sick, um, you know, commodity prices can hold up well. And I think the other thing is um, the inflation picture. Um, how, how far will inflation come down? And if inflation doesn't get down to two percent, commodities are going to be a great place to be um, going forward. Uh, I think almost. Uh, <clears throat> Irregardless uh, of the recession, you know, you might get this pullback during the recession, but it becomes one. I think you end up buying, um, or you buy the commodity producers um, on a pullback because I think commodities could have a, a pretty solid next, you know, five years, um, just as uh, the, the world co- tries to navigate through this inflationary period.
0: Okay, we should we should probably schedule a commodities call one of these days. In terms of interest. I want to circle back for a moment to CPI. That's the consumer price index. It's a key measure of inflation. It will be reported on Wednesday. What is the current uh, consensus estimate band?
1: Uh, so it's uh, for uh, CPI to rise by zero point four percent month over month. Um, and that would be a year-over-year rate of 5.3%, and that would be down, I think it was from 6% uh, uh, last uh, last month. Um, but core it also is likely to rise 0.4% um, and would be up 5.6% year-over-year, and that's still, that's pretty high. And um, that uh, There's still that sticky inflation in core that I think is problematic for the Fed. And um, if we do get, I think, those consensus numbers that it just makes uh, a rate hike more likely um, come uh, come the May meeting.
0: It's very hard to imagine with 5.3% for overall CPI and a core CPI rate of 5.6%, how we're going to get down to the Fed's 2% goal after a year of rate hikes
1: yeah i mean these these things do take time um yes. i mean it's it's a lot of, people of that it's you know we want uh, we want things to 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 change very quickly but they don't i mean the fed's uh the rate hikes they know take a long time there's a long lag on it um and i think because of the amount of money that which uh uh was was handed out uh during the the pandemic that uh you know this is uh this is different than what we've dealt with before and there's a lot of money that needs to probably come out before it can um inflation come back down but i mean we are we mentioned m2 before and that's tumbling now um and there's arguments about what that means um but i think it's you, you just have to look at something like that and say that uh inflation will come down it's just a question of how much and how long it takes
0: all right, And last, um, last question is kind of a comment, kind of a question from Hal. He says, isn't the reticence to lend, that is, banks to lend, exactly what the Fed wants with its rate hikes?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I just don't think the Fed wants it to happen like this. Um, before the uh, Silicon Valley um, issues arose, banks were already tightening their lending standards. Um, you know, and it would they would have tightened again. I think no matter what happened with the banking system, when you see something like uh, uh, what just what just happened, though, it, it it could cause things instead of to happen at a at a um, you know at a relatively slow pace, happen very quickly, and it's those quick changes more than anything that become problems. Um, and I think that's uh, that has to be the Fed's worry. Um, like, yes, this is what they want to have happen they don't want it to happen this way.
0: All right. We'll look for the FOMC minutes out Wednesday that will give you some indication of the Fed's recent thinking. And with that, Ben, we're going to have to call it a day. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Laura. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And thanks for your marvelous questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, our colleague, Darren Fonda, We'll speak with Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. They, too, will be discussing the outlook for stocks and bonds, and Brian will have a lot to say. Thanks so much, and stay well, everyone. Have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.